Mean Old Lion Media and Sunseeker TV, in association with Carl Anthony Payne Entertainment, present Black Arm of the Law. Hey, 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 welcome back, welcome back, welcome black, black as always, uh, I am your host, Carl Payne, the one and only mama that goes that man, welcome back to another episode of Black Arm of the Law, today's guest um, is a man who's been in law enforcement for over 33 years, uh, we call him the Albie Shore of the FBI, we call him the Kobe Bryant of the anti-terrorism uh, task force, uh, a special agent FBI to the uh, anti-terrorism task force in Washington, D.C. Please welcome Mr. Robert Bateo Jr. Robert, my man, how's it going, buddy? It's going very well. Thank you. Where where are you on this Sunday evening? Where are you? Where are you located? I am I am at home in just uh, south of Boston, Massachusetts. You know, I'm uh, I grew up in Boston, and uh, my uh, career took me away for 18 years, and and I moved back just three years ago. Wow. Okay. So wait. So you're originally from Boston, then? I am. Georgia. What happened to the accent? Weekend. <laughs> you know that's uh, that's all that time spent away. It'll you know what. If I have a little bit more of this, it'll come out. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. All right, so, all right. So, let's, so first, what are we drinking tonight? Uh, this is uh, JC's interest in Duce. A little Ooh. cognac. Ooh. Okay. Got a little brown going on. Got that. If I do say so myself. All right. <laughs> yeah. See what you got in that glass. Uh, I got a little of that uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix. A little Hendrix oh. over here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See when you when you live when you, if you've ever spent any time living in the South, you know that brown liquor grows on you. It does, it does. I, I, or you just don't have a choice. That's pretty much it. Like I, I, I mean, I, I grew up in the South for sure. I mean, I didn't had corn liquor. You ever had corn liquor? <laughs> no, oh, see, see, you don't know nothing about the South, then, man. You got to get that corn liquor. You think they're in there making some uh, collard greens and some stuff like that, but really, you know, they're in there brewing some stuff up. <laughs> You ever been you ever been walking through the woods and see some smoke and come across a still? Uh yeah, I've heard of some, yeah. seen that time or two. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 growing up in the South. So, Robert, who do you have uh you a sports fan? I am, yes. All right, who you got? Who you got? Uh, which, which what, what which, sports? Which league are we talking about? What's uh, right, NFL. NFL, who you got? Well, you know, in the NFL, I have to say that uh that I am a homer. So I, I did I did like the uh, uh, New England the Patriots because uh, I suffered through, you know, I played high school football here. So I suffered through all the years of those terrible seasons where we had a lot of talent and didn't win, didn't have much to show. for the wins. <laughs> So I've, I've basked in the glory of the Tom Brady years. Uh, and, right. and I was a Cowboys fan. I truly, truth be told, I was a Cowboys fan also for a lot of years growing up. Until they they got rid of my man Jimmy Johnson, and once they got rid of yeah. my man Jimmy Johnson, I was like, yeah. I, I don't know what to do with you cats. Yeah, I was I was an early Cowboys fan too. Back in the days with the rivalry with the Steel Steelers, with the uh, when they had Dorsett and Lynn Swan, and uh, you know oh, that yeah. era, that I era, that, that era. was that was definitely one of the best eras ever. Uh, now I think that isn't that who they had guarding the Capitol the other day, the Cowboys. That was the, <laughs> I think they were the ones. It certainly wasn't the probably. Person, that's for sure. <laughs> 
they were the ones, I think, because uh, if uh, if uh, old Otis, if old Otis from my show was God, then would nobody have got in. I know that much. <laughs> All right, in, um, NBA, who you got? I like I like uh, again. I'm I'm going to say I'm a homer with the Celtics because they were the first NBA team to field five black starters in the league. Right. So that's I mean, so you're you're just a true, true all around fan. Just a, yes. basically a Boston boy. Boston. Boston. <laughs> park your car. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. All around. So what, what, what? All right. So you grew up in Boston. What part of Boston? So I grew up in Dorchester, uh, just on the other side of Dorchester, where the uh, where the brothers from New Edition uh, were living. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up. Uh, uh, there for a number of years, you know, when I was younger and when I was eight years old, I had a complete uh, culture shock and change. You know, my parents moved me out to uh, white uh, suburbia just south of Boston, about 25 miles. And and going through elementary school and high school, uh, that was a different experience. You know, I moved from a city block uh, in Dorchester in a, uh, elementary school that was predominantly of black and Puerto Rican. And I come out and we move across the street from a dairy farm. Uh, and I'm in a school, <laughs> <laughs> moved literally cows across the street from where we live. Uh, we used to, we used to jump that fence and they had a big hill on that dairy farm and, and we'd, uh, sled, uh, in the snow. Uh, on that farm in the wintertime. And so to go to school my first day, uh, you know, there was two other people uh, that looked like me. Uh, so that was a big culture shift and change for me at that time. Right, right. Wow. Well, well, well when you say look like you, I mean, well, I, 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 I don't want to I don't want to call the elephant in the room. I'll be sure. But look, <laughs> what you mean look like you? Okay, I'm glad you brought that Cause, up. Yeah, I'm just saying, man. Like, like you and I will have a different conversation with regards to look like me. So I would imagine that most people look like you already in where you was at, you know? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because actually, you know, they came to be a couple of my closest boys and they were both much darker skinned than me. So they really didn't look like me, but they were next closest thing to me. So you had Italians looking at you funny. I did, man. I sure did. That's all good. It's all good. All right. So let's talk about your name for a second, right? Before we get into that, let's let's talk sure. about that. So uh, I don't want to mess it up because, I mean, we already spoke about this off air sure. and I, I don't think I will. But, you know, here in America, as we say, El Polo Loco, <laughs> your name is Roberto Robert. Yes. Yes. Botello. Batello. Yes. Batello. That's correct. Yes. But here it's pronounced Batello. And you or actually it's really pronounced Batello, but you just say whatever. That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So so how do how do we get this last name? So uh you know, I I, I get that surname uh from my dad, who is uh Portuguese, and uh my mom is African American, uh grew up in North Carolina. Uh so I took my dad's name. And it is, like you said, uh, the pronunciation, Americanized pronunciation of it is Botello, and it's spelled uh, with an, an L and an H uh, before mm. the last letter O. And so a lot of people get confused with that. And so they, when they talk to me on the phone, because that Boston accent of mine has been long gone, 
uh, they will initially think by the sound of my name that I'm Italian, and, and it would be Italian if it was spelled with two L's, but it's an L right. and an H. Gotcha. Wow. You ever, you ever been you ever been over there to your uh, father's homeland? I have not. You know, that's one of the places that has uh, that has escaped me. I haven't had the pleasure of being there. I've been many other places in the world, but I but I have not gotten to Portugal, unfortunately. All right. So uh, at the sake of being. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say racist, but uh, <laughs> uh, stereotypical. You like Polish sausages? <laughs> pause pause double pause hey, you know what i mean listen i'm just telling i love them i love them i will i will man a kibasca or whatever you call it i will tear that damn thing up <laughs> i picked that uh, hillshire farm over <laughs> they did something right that's all i'm saying they didn't they didn't did a couple of things right and one of them is the sausages we put in our gumbo and we have with our breakfast <laughs> That's for damn sure. Uh, well, Mr. Mateo, uh, I am super happy that you have joined me today. It's been a crazy week. Yes, right? it has. Yes. What are your feelings? Just Let's just jump right into it, man. What are your feelings about what's going on? You know, I, I have uh, so many thoughts and emotions about it because on uh, a few occasions I've gone through the uh, experience of taking the oath of office. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that oath of office is, is sacred to us, uh, that take it. And, you know, and with that comes the responsibility, uh, of supporting and defending, uh, the constitution of the United States from enemies, both foreign and domestic. And when you take that oath, uh, it is with the requirement that you don't get to choose. Okay. Um, you know, if you don't, agree with certain uh, of your fellow citizens of their political persuasion or of their sexual orientation, uh, you know, you have you're supposed to uh, uphold the civil rights of all of them, not just the ones that you choose. And so uh, it's been a very difficult week for me to see just the disparity uh, that has always been there. But I think it was on full display for everyone to see on Wednesday the disparity in our uh, American uh, jurisprudence, uh, the way we treat uh, people of color in this country uh, versus uh, everyone else. And and right. so that was very um, heart, heart-wrenching to see. And it was also heart-wrenching to see the loss of life that was clearly unavoidable. I mean, I'm sorry. It was avoidable. I should say it was avoidable. Clearly, clearly avoidable. Clear, clearly, clearly unavoidable. I mean, uh, all right. So, so as as I mean, and we'll get into the the journey. But you yeah. know, if if I if I recall from your uh, resume, you were a supervisory special agent, um, and you served as a counterterrorism officer, right? Yes. It was assigned to the FBI uh, National Joint Terrorism uh, uh, Task Force, right, in mm-hmm. Washington D.C. Yes. That's correct, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So. So with that, and, and, and how many years? How many years? Uh, total, I had 33 years of law enforcement experience. Okay. With your experience, what should have happened? Well, I think that, you know... Or in your experience, I should say. So, yes, and, 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 and that's a very good question. Thank you for the question. I think that if we can, we can all, uh, with our own eyes, look at the level of 
police presence uh, that was in front of the Jefferson Memorial, the George Washington Monument, uh, the Capitol, when the Black Lives Matter movement uh, said to Washington, D.C., where we plan on and we intend on marching in protest for equal justice and equal treatment under the law. And we saw, uh, you know, National Guard uh, from different states uh, come in, federal agents from all the various across federal agencies. You know, they were out there uh, in force. And then we look to Wednesday and what was apparently different about Wednesday. There was not that readiness uh, of law enforcement in their uh, approach uh, to that situation. And you have to ask yourself a, a lot of questions as to why not. And it was apparently obvious uh, uh, why not. And there should have been that level of of police presence and force uh, so that, listen, if you want to protest, uh, you want to have a rally, you know, you can certainly do that. There's an area uh, on the extended perimeter that you can do that. You can voice your First Amendment right. You know, you certainly don't have the right to, to do what we had witnessed on Wednesday. And I, I just see a, a stark difference in the way that uh, the law enforcement approach was for, for BLM as opposed to what we saw on Wednesday. And it sort of underlies the, um, the glaring issues and problems that we've had in this country since its inception. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. I mean... Uh, but but at at some point, you know, how did you feel watching this happen? I mean, was there was there any anger? I mean, you know, I mean, listen, on this show, let me let me just explain some. You know, we don't we don't have to hold back. We don't pull punches. You know, I mean, listen, it, we're past that. I mean, we're past that in every aspect of the word or sense in in our lives, on our day to day lives. You know, so I, I just want you to be as candid as you can. And uh, and I appreciate your candor. Um, but, you know, a lot of us are, you know, we're angry. You know, I mean, did you mm -hmm. feel any anger at what you oh, were watching? Yes. Yes, I, I was. Uh, I went through a range of emotions and anger mm -hmm. was was certainly uh, one of them. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and, and, and I'm saying. I know why it's happening and it's wrong, why it's unfolding that way. And I was angry because. How many times have we seen, uh, you know, black people just going throughout the course of their daily lives? Uh, the most mm -hmm. recent one, uh, you know, you pull up to a house where people are familiar to you, uh, you know, as it was reported, bringing Christmas gifts and you're confronted uh, by law enforcement and you reach out in, in your pocket and pull out your phone and you're shot dead. Um, right. I mean, there's so many instances uh, of of we're not given we're not given that uh, that that deference mm -hmm. on people of color, black people, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. then to see people storming the Capitol, rioting, ransacking the Capitol, and, and not to see that equivalent response. Of course, I, I was angry. I was I was saddened. I was tragic. I felt horrible for the police officers that uh, that lost their life mm -hmm. uh, for that. For what? For mm -hmm. something that was uh, avoidable and should have uh, never happened uh, if if it was properly appropriately handled. 
Uh, so yeah, I went through a range of emotions. Uh, it's been a, it's been a really really tough week since Wednesday. So, so you, you mentioned something uh, a second ago when you said because you 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 said you knew you know why it happened. Why do you think it happened? Well, because I think in those circumstances, uh, you know, it, it was well known uh, that folks were going to ascend on Washington D.C. and rally uh, in support of. Uh, of the president and their intentions were telegraphed uh, on social media. And so to see the lapse uh, on the law enforcement side, uh, which contributed to the catastrophe that happened, you know, Mm -hmm. it was very disappointing uh, because that's not how they operated when uh, BLM came to town. Exactly. So who makes that call? Who makes that call? Well, definitely, you know, the leadership, uh, you know, the leadership, they, they are responsible. The chief of the Capitol Police, let's just say who it is, uh, you know, the chief of the Capitol Police is responsible mm-hmm. for the security of that building. And then just as a matter of common sense, you would rely <laughs> on, <laughs> right? I mean, com- common sense, you would rely yeah. on your yeah. your federal uh, and other state and local partners to work with them and partner with them. And those and those agreements are in place. That cooperation is in place. It's not something they just drew up on a chalkboard the night before. Those things are in place. Uh, you know, the Washington Metro Police, they're very accustomed and, 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 and trained in, in civil uh, mm-hmm. disturbances. Uh, it's Washington, D.C. Uh, so they're they're So you, do, you didn't see. The Capitol Police working with their partners to have that show of force to get that federal and other state and local participation. Why? Mm-hmm. And the question mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. the people that were marching on the Capitol looked very different than most of the people that were marching in BLM. You know, right. and that's but, what I think the world saw. But but let me ask you this though. Let me ask you this though, because uh, you know, and, and you bring up a very good point, right? So here's the question. The question is why. The question has to be, I mean, obviously there's more than one question, but the main question is why, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you call out the National Guard and you bring in all kinds of help mm-hmm. when there has been no, no, no substantiated uh, evidence or, or support to claim with regards to violence, right? Because for the most part, it was a peaceful march. Yeah. And they and, and they stated their intentions to be peaceful. They didn't say, hey, we come in here to wreck shop. We come in here to do damage. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, you know, uh, it's a conversation for a whole nother day as to what we're actually fighting for. What what the what the pe- what the march and the and everything is about, you know, what the protest is actually about. But why do you think that when someone says. We're, we're, we're organizing a peaceful march. You see that kind of show of force, whereas someone actually, as you said, states their intentions. They say exactly what they're going to do and what they want to do, and you and, and they're known. They're they're you know you can call it what it is. You, you know, to me, they're domestic terrorists. Yes, 
you know, you, you can call it what it is. I mean, let, let's just understand that when people take an oath to defend the country against foreign and domestic terrorism, that's exactly what happened the other day. There's 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 you can you can you can. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm so sick of them trying to say it under under the uh, uh, guise of patriotism or whatever, you know, whatever they would like to label it as whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, political correctness blanket they'd like to mm-hmm. hang uh, their hat on. But, you know, at its core, we know exactly what it is. Right. So the question becomes, why? Why? Why was there no uh, uh, why was there not the same show, as you say? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, which 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 then makes you think, what's the agenda? And and I'm pretty sure, uh, you know. I'm pretty sure. As it's been reported. They, you know, a lot of law enforcement were actually involved. A lot of law enforcement allowed it to happen. You know, a lot of law enforcement were actually there, uh, obviously in plain clothes, you know, um, in support as well as being a part of in collusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it kind of makes you wonder is, you know, was this planned? Was there an agenda? Where they allow this to happen. I mean, I look at videos where I see police actually opening up the gates. I see police uh, actually allowing it, you know, and and was this because they were, you know, you know, and, and I don't want to I don't want to, uh, you know, hang all the police in the same, uh, you know, corral. I don't want to corral them all together, but it's, you know. Walks like a duck, looks like a duck. You know, occasionally you're gonna start to think, "Hey, those are all ducks." You know, there may be one geese in the mix. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> you, uh, one goose up in there, but everybody else is ducks. You're exactly right, I, and I think that's you know we have to push back on this notion that what thine eyes see uh, is something other than what they see. If we're of sound mind and an adult. Uh, mature bodies that that have lived through uh, this some life experience, and you know to look at uh, some police officers in, in some of the footage removing some of the barriers to sustain that perimeter. Uh, that's that that's a problem. Uh, so when you when you lose the perimeter. And now you allow folks uh, inside the perimeter. The next logical uh, step is that they're going to attempt to uh, breach uh, the building. And so, you know, to go back on some of the points that you had mentioned, you know, there has to be some level of acceptance at some point where, uh, you know, the officers uh, in some form or fashion identify uh, in some way with uh, the people that were there and breaches were uh, occurred where I don't think that that would have been the case if we're talking, uh, you know, BLM. I don't I don't think that that would have been the case and admittedly so. And I think we have to look back at our history in America. Uh, you know, who was in control of the of the police, you know, at the end of the Civil War and during uh, Reconstruction and who influenced uh, the police and what were the police doing uh, at the time and what was leadership doing at the time? Well, they were suppressing, uh, you know, 
the right of, of, of black people to vote, to participate in, in voting. Uh, and so it's not outside of the realm of, of possibility uh, that you have people uh, in law enforcement that would sympathize with um, a certain political uh, viewpoint. And that takes me back to the oath of office. You know, if you take that oath of office and you take that position, you know, you're not supposed to have the right to choose uh, who you afford the civil liberties to. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, uh, I think that, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, it's, here's, here's the thing. I think what most people, I'm always shocked at how shocked people are. You know, I'm always shocked at, at, uh, I'm always shocked at how, how shocked people are with regards to, what's actually happening or when things happen Mm is people talk about racism as if it hasn't been going on since we got here or Mm. because, you know, um, you know, there has been some advancements in the last, um, 50 years, 40 years, you know, they feel like, I feel like people think that they talk about it as if it was a long time ago. And I'm like, Oh, you mean my grandma? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean my great grandma? My grandma? Like, like, what are you yeah. talking about? Like, and I think that yeah. people forget. Like, it hasn't been that late. So no. it's really just the changing of the guard. This was yes, bound to happen. Yeah. This was bound to happen because what's happening here is white folks losing control. Mm-hmm. What's happening is is in terms of power. In terms of 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 uh, you know their their control, in terms of power, it, and and it's like you know, as your man said earlier, you know, you cut off the head of a snake, the body yes. thrashes out in it, and it goes crazy because it's dying. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. trying to survive. It's dying. Yeah, this was bound to happen. This was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised it hadn't happened sooner. You know, and, and then it also reminds me of the story of, of, of the scorpion and the frog. You know, do you know the story of the scorpion and the frog? The frog you know, <laughs> remind me, refresh my memory. The scorpion, you know, needed to get from one side of the river to the other. This is in a nutshell, right? Yeah, yeah. And he asked the frog to give him a lift, you know, across the water. The frog is like, nah, because if you, you get him up, you know, if I give you a lift, you're going to sting me. And I'm going to die. Frog, the scorpion's like, no, I won't. I just need to get to the other side. Halfway across the water, the scorpion stings him. And as the frog is dying, he's like, basically like, yo, what's up with that? And the scorpion's like, yo, that's my nature. Like, you should have known better. You knew that. When you put me on, you know, you knew that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's yeah. how I look at all of these Republicans. That's how I look at everybody. Else. Like, yo, you knew what you was getting. You knew exactly what you were doing. You knew what you were getting. Here we are. 
You know, I, I think I think it's interesting because, again, again, black people in this country, we don't have a history of violence. We don't have a history. We, no, we, we, we not. we're not violent by nature. Right. It's not us that are running out being serial killers and shooting up schools. And no, we didn't. We didn't. We, you know, we don't we don't we didn't we didn't come here and steal your land and, and claim it as our own. And, you know, we, you know, and, uh, you know, we, this is not our history. But I think what they've what, what what has been shown and what has been learned is, you know, that if you put us in a corner and you push us long enough and you keep poking the bear. Yes. You keep playing with the, the nest uh, sooner or later. And, and, and they know what we're capable of. Because so. So. And I think and I think, again, it's just the changing of the guard. It was bound to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it was bound to happen. And they, and they, and they you know, the 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 foot on the neck, the knee on the neck is being twisted and is being lifted off. Yeah, that's that's what uh, and, that's... and there needs to be accountability. People, you know, just like in the police force, uh, you know, with the police brutality and, and all the different things that have been happening around the country, there has to be accountability, period. You want to hold everyone accountable, then it has to be equal accountability. And I sure. think what the, 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 mis, the misunderstanding is we're not asking you to shoot all of those people. You know, we weren't saying, hey, shoot those protesters like you shoot us. We were saying, hey, don't shoot us like you don't shoot them. Exactly. There, yeah. that, that's the difference. You know, now some of us, and I got some friends, who are like, no, F that. Shoot them too. <laughs> shoot all of them. They need to shoot all of them. Yeah, because uh, we know what it would have looked like if it was a, lo- a lot of uh, BLM people marching on the Capitol. It would have been a, a, a much different and bloodier scenario. Let me ask you this now. now yeah. I, and, 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 and so I want to I jump jump a little bit you know i want to get into your journey and how you got into law enforcement uh yeah yeah tell me tell me a little bit about that like was there something that happened when you were growing up or were you influenced inspired or was there something traumatic you know let's get into the journey and tell me how you you know got into law enforcement yeah abs you know absolutely And, and i think you know a part of that journey has to do with um you know influences in my life uh so you know so my you know my dad was a movie and television uh film person and i became a movie and and television uh uh buff as well and so i remember watching you know the ephraim zimbless jr and the television show about the fbi uh and, and as i got a little bit older uh when i got to high school a uh, couple of things, you know, th- th- there was a lot of factors that that, that led me down that path. Uh, but two of the most, I think, impactful things were, you know, as a sophomore in high school, uh, you know, I I read the book, uh, The FBI Pyramid. Uh, and that was something that was very influ- influential uh, on me at the time. And it, and it talked about this one particular person, uh, you know, the, the author, Mark Felt, his journey uh, uh, in his career through the FBI. So I was fascinated by that. And also at the time, uh, you know, one of my, um, you know, family members, uh, an aunt that I love, uh, Dilly, uh, you know, she was impacted by uh, drug abuse. 
And, uh, you know, she, as a result, she died. Uh, and that impacted me, uh, very much so. And, and, and in spending that time with my, with my family and going through, uh, the funeral and, and looking at the suffering uh, of my mom and all of her sisters and, and my aunts and my, my grandparents and, and, and seeing how that it was so gut-wrenching and painful at the time, I thought to myself, you know, if there's something, you know, I can do to prevent uh, something similar happening to someone else in their family, then that would be something worthwhile doing. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, um, so it was personal, very personal yeah. for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, in, in, you know, I, I, of course at the time I was, um, you know, 21 years old. So, you know, you think you can, you can set the world on fire and, and make some change, right? Martin Luther King taught us that, you know, you can, as an individual, make a difference. Uh, so, so I went headstrong into it and, and figured out a pathway, uh, to get me there so that I could do just that. And that's how I got started. So, so I got, man, I don't want to jump, but I got to jump. I got to jump. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I, no, no, no. Cause it's, it's, I got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Gemini with ADD. So I got everything <laughs> going on, brother. It, it's, 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 it's hard. Uh, but jumping right into it, what were some of your experiences now? Now, again, no offense, mm-hmm. because, you know, we, we come from, you know, you're being black, you know, me being black. But we, we know that, it, you know, growing up and I've experienced this with, throughout my family with, you know, I've heard this a lot with women. It's, it's definitely been a lot with women in terms of the shade, you know, lighter skin versus darker skin. Yes. That sort of thing, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, and I've had previous guests where I've asked them this question with regards to the different uh, um, the different experiences they may have had, the different things they may have experienced uh, on the job or coming up in their journey mm-hmm. where race, where their race and the color of their skin actually um, almost held them back. Could have, could have, uh, you know, or the different, you know, or, or, or I don't want to say held them back, but, you know. The, the things that you come up against being a black man in America, you know, yes. and being and living in and, and having to operate under um, and in certain environments, you mm-hmm. know. Now, was it any different for you? And and, I, and again, no offense, but obviously this is based on the fact that you are fairer skin where where the you know, did you or should, or should I say this? Let, let me pose a question this way. Yeah. Because your skin was fairer. Mm-hmm. Did you experience any white privilege or any privilege, you know, that would have been not shown to someone whose skin was darker? Uh, I can emphatically, emphatically say none whatsoever. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not and, good, and that, not good, might, but, you know, but, and but I'm might, just saying. Yeah, I mean, and that might be surprising, you know, to some, uh, but I will say this, you know, um, from my point of view, Mm-hmm. It seemed like uh, white folks didn't discern uh, skin tone when I was coming up <laughs> because right. because I was called N word just like everybody else uh, that was black. I was 
you know, I was looked at, uh, you know, uh, that way I had the same struggles. And, and one of the things that I, I, uh, struggled with a lot was, you know, when I got around, uh, some blacks that were darker skin than me, you know, they automatically think that I had a little bit easier path. And so, you know, they would say, well, I wasn't really black enough because I didn't talk the way that they talked or sounded the way that they talked. Uh, so there was a, there was a duality there for me growing up. You know, I was kind of catching it from both sides at times. Were you, are you old enough, uh, to remember the, uh, experience with the uh, busing, uh, oh, issues yeah. there in Boston? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tell me about that or what, what you remember. So, what, so, so let me, so what I remember about that is, you know, well, first, remember, first tell the people who are listening what sure. that was about. So this is when, you know, of course, when schools were, were segregated, the landmark Supreme Court case, uh, you know, that segregated schools, you know, Boston was a little late in the game to segregate those schools and it, and it began to occur in the early seventies. Uh, and, and so, you know, there were enclaves uh, in the city of Boston that, let's face it, they were predominantly white and they didn't really uh, like the idea of of the um, desegregation of schools. And so there was a lot of protests uh, in places like like South Boston. And even as a as a college student uh, in the early 80s, you know, there were parts of the city of Boston that you just shied away from that you just didn't go to uh even as light-skinned as i was for me that would be all of boston i'm just gonna <laughs> put that out there that would be all of us let me tell you something boston is the one place that i've i've gone to in this in this uh united states where i'm like i'm good if i don't ever visit boston again. <laughs> when i tell you boston has and i don't care who's listening out there ken will probably cut this out but i'm gonna say it anyway i don't care boston has some of the most entitled white folks i have ever met you i think that they i think they breed karens kids <laughs> out there i have never been around a more uh 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 I, oh my God. That's all I can yeah. say is, oh my God. Like, like uh, bold. I mean, super bold and just super. I'm like, yo, they, they really feel like this is theirs. Mm-hmm. This is theirs. And, and how dare you? And, you know, and, and with they, they operate, the average person operates with an impunity that is so, uh, it's, it's staggering. It's just mind blowing. So let me let me let me share this short uh, story with you. You know, in in growing up in Boston, and as a young person, college student, walking through the financial district, post office square, walking through government center in downtown, you know, and and lingering there for a time, I would see small number of people of color. Uh, I could count them on one hand that I would saw pass through, and I can recall. You know, the first internship in college that I had with my with my former agency, the DEA, and, and I was at its headquarters in Washington, D.C. And I and I left headquarters on my first day and I walked a few blocks to go to Wendy's to get something to eat. And I literally stopped on the corner and looked around. It was a um, Forrest Gump moment. I'm standing and I'm looking around. 
And I'm saying to myself, look at all of these people of color walking around, driving around. They're in uh, business suits and, and driving, you know, nice cars, Mercedes and, and Jaguar. And it's, it wasn't something that I saw in Boston growing up as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's crazy. I grew up in the projects in Harlem, right? And, uh, you know, I definitely would have known that we were poor or anything, you know, because that's the world that you know. That's all you know until you step outside of that world. Yeah. And then once you step outside of that world and you realize how the other, you know, half lives or more than half. And you're like, yo, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yo, what? In the, you know, and I tell people all the time, which is which is why. You know, the success of the Cosby show was so great and why the Cosby show was so needed because it, you know, and it wasn't like it didn't exist. It's just that most people never traveled outside their circles. Most people never mm -hmm. venture out outside or they didn't have the access. They didn't have yeah. access. They didn't have the means or the, you know, and, and then, you know, once you do that because of fear and everything else. But once you do that, and you realize, oh, there are black doctors and black lawyers. There are people who are actually living like this and have been for a long time. Black Wall Street yes. have been doing their own thing for a long time, you know, and, that, you know, and again, that's a whole nother conversation for another day as far as getting into our history and, and what they teach us and what they don't share with us. Mm -hmm. uh, but so tell me some of the experience, like tell me what some of the things that you may have experienced. So tell me, tell me some experiences that that stick out in your head. One or two, you know, give me a story. Tell me something about something that happened to you where race definitely played an issue and played a part. Uh, professionally or personally? Yeah, pro professionally. Yeah. One, one, one story uh, does does come to mind, you know, as a as a young uh, agent, relatively new uh, on the job. Uh, you know, I, I went to, uh, go meet, uh, my wife for lunch, uh, one, one afternoon at a sandwich shop. And in that particular city, uh, where this occurred, uh, I had been going to that police department's, uh, narcotics, uh, unit and working with those officers on investigations. You know, I would go to their, office, uh, we would meet, we would have operational meetings, and then we would go out on the street and do surveillance or make an undercover uh, buy of, of drugs and things of that sort. So it, it was multiple times. You know, I certainly wasn't a stranger to the officers uh, in that unit. And, and so I'm sitting in this, in this cop, in this sandwich shop, and, you know, I had my, my, my leather jacket on, and it was on it was unzipped, uh, and I noticed across from me was one of the uh, sergeants uh, from that unit, and he was having lunch with three other people in the same sandwich shop. And I didn't say anything to him because he was really involved in conversation, and I was, of course, spending that, that time with my wife. And, you know, I had uh, my, you know, service-issued weapon in a holster uh, on my hip, it was underneath my coat. But at some point, I must have leaned forward uh, on the table, talking to my wife, and 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 I think my jacket may have opened up a little bit. And I didn't know this at the time, uh, but that sergeant had noticed that that I was uh, across from him uh, carrying a weapon. No, no, hold and on. So, were you, 
Had, had you met this sergeant before? Were you guys oh, familiar yeah. with each yeah. other? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you were familiar with each other. Okay. Oh, yeah. He okay. was familiar okay. with me. We met in, in the office. We, we, worked, right. we went out on operations together. We were in briefings together. Okay. And so I didn't really pay it any mind. I thought, okay, well, obviously he knows who I am, and I'm just going to continue on my business, and maybe we'll catch up later. And so I leave the sandwich shop, and I, I, I take my wife to the car, and as I'm opening the car door for her to get in, I feel these two hands on my shoulders and I get spun around. Now I'm getting ready to react to, to, you know, with a fist coming around in a roundhouse. And I look and I see him and he has his hands on my shoulders and he look and he looks at me and he says, Jose, what are you doing carrying a gun? And I said, I said, Hey, it's me. It's Robert Botello from DEA. And he stops and he looks at me and he goes, oh, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were someone else. <laughs> Did he think you were like his CI or something? I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. He must have thought I was somebody on probation that shouldn't have been carrying a gun or wanted, maybe his one of his CIs. It had, had to be. Hey, buddy, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, true story. Yeah. yeah, I think I think every Black American experiences that every day, just in a different shape and form. Hey, what are you doing driving that car? Yeah. Hey, hey, Carl, what are you doing living the American dream? How dare you? How yeah. dare you? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else. I thought you were. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That is priceless. Oh, I'm going to use that one. That's a good one. <laughs> did uh, did you ever experience anything that that might have uh, that that would that where would have prevented you from uh, rising in the ranks or? Oh, you know, absolutely. There yeah, we go. That's very, the one I want to hear about. That's what I want to hear about. You know, it was a very um, disheartening. Uh, it was a very tragic tragic no one died okay but it was very tragic to me because uh because i i believed that i was doing what was right what i was supposed to be doing uh and you know uh i i fell into a situation that that i had later come to find out other individuals like myself ran into the same similarities, uh, same similar uh, circumstances. And it was a tough lesson to learn. I think a couple of things that and, and the culture of the organization, you know, those two things sort of prevented me from, uh, from going further uh, that I had aspirations to go. And, you know, it, you know, I can tell you this, you know, I, I did have uh, an attorney uh, and to sum up that whole uh, terrible uh, eight, nine months, you know, my attorney said to me, well, listen, um, you know, they uh, they didn't discipline you. Uh, they didn't take your uh, government car away from you. Uh, they didn't, um, 
you know, affect your pay. Uh, so, you know, essentially, if you were to try to take this to court, uh, you know, the court's going to look at, well, what was the undue harm done to you? And they will consider those factors. And yes, it was a terrible inconvenience for you and your family. And it was a very uncomfortable circumstance to endure. Uh, but there was no real harm done to you in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to kind of take it and, uh, and keep, and keep moving on. Uh, and, and then I also had considered, uh, pursuing the, uh, equal employment opportunity complaint, uh, process. And by that point, I was so mentally and physically, uh, uh, worn down, uh, that I felt like the best thing to do uh, it would be to put that behind me and move forward and not prolong that, that situation. And, and as it turns out, you know, uh, I was transferred, I was relocated. Uh, but then they also, um, you know, gave me more, uh, uh, responsibility and more personnel. So, <laughs> so, so that was kind of like, okay, well, you know, uh, that was the setup. You didn't yeah. realize that that was a setup. Yeah, if 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 all that was 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 true and accurate, then they certainly would not have done that. Uh, right, but at the same time, they they, they you, you know you know there's an old saying: if everybody's rooting for you, you're headed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you know, that, it, so that was a learning experience, and and it, it really did it really in a sense uh, der- derailed my trajectory. Uh, to where I wanted to go. However, mm-hmm. I will say uh, that, that that assignment that they gave me, um, I, I wouldn't trade that in for the world. That was probably the best eight years uh, in my eight career. Eight years? Wow. Yeah, I was in that assignment for eight years. I, I was able to uh, uh, work with some, I've made some amazing relationships that otherwise would not have happened. We achieved so many things that would not have happened. Uh, we as a group achieved uh, one of the organization's highest awards because of our group achievement. Uh, I got to even uh, appear on ABC News Nightline. Uh, they actually mm-hmm. came to town and 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 filmed uh, one of our uh, investigations and the takedown of that investigation. And so none of those things would have happened if I had not experienced what I had gone through. Well, how, how long did it take for you to realize that, though? Because, I mean, as I'm listening to you and, and as you're reliving it, I can tell it's still a, it's a little bit of a sore spot for you. I can tell it's you still know, a, it, it, a, it, it a, is. Yeah, it, it, it is because I think that uh, we we when I say we myself and, and some of my other personal friends and colleagues who've had similar careers, whether it be in my my former agency or with others. You know, we want we want to ascend to positions of influence so that we can mm-hmm. help those that are coming behind us. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things that I was very, very blessed at was I got to work in a in a diverse environment where I was around many, many more people of color. Mm-hmm. And those individuals, uh, after I had gotten there and, and, and reestablished uh, myself and and and. Um, uh, and, and, and reestablished or reaffirmed my, my reputation, uh, they would 
seek me out and they would come to me and I was able to mentor a lot of brothers and sisters in those eight years. And, and, and that's the value God wanted me to be there at that time. And, and, and in my office, one of my, my good friends, he had uh, given me as a gift uh, this huge uh, painting of the uh, He Ain't Heavy mm. with the arm coming down and pulling someone mm-hmm. up. And I mm-hmm. had that prominently in my displayed in my office. And so uh, when folks realized that that was what I was really about, they would come and I could then be able to, because I've, I had lived sort of both sides of it, uh, having that ambition, having those aspirations, I was able to help them make strategic decisions to help them navigate their professional careers and personal lives. And so that for me, that was a very rewarding time and experience that that I just can't imagine my life devoid of it. I think that quite often uh, a lot of us think that we're being rejected when we're just being redirected. You know, and we don't see it at the time, you know, because of what we thought we were supposed to do or where we thought we were supposed Mm -hmm. to be. And then we realize, and that's why I asked you, at what point did you realize that? Because, you know, I've experienced that several times in my life as well. So I definitely understand exactly what you're talking about, where you realize this is what you were supposed to be doing and where you were supposed to be. You know, that was the path that you were supposed mm-hmm. to be on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the uh, through lines, I should say, or common factors between a lot of the other guests that I've had on the show and some of them know each other was that they did have senior uh, um, advisors, mm-hmm. you know, who were black, who kind of helped them and showed them the rope. You know, but this is the first time I think I've had someone who tell me how they became that person. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Like, yes. like they're, they're, they've been on the show and they've they've told me how they actually had other people that were there to help them and guide them and tell them the mistakes not to make and the things not to do and kind of show them the ropes and things like that. And, and you know, um, but yeah, that's interesting. That was the first time, you know, I've heard someone tell me their story about how they get, they became that person and how they got there. that's interesting i dig it um jumping ships you married you got kids yes uh i am uh married i've got uh four adult children and uh they are they are all listen man they are all doing so good they're they're surviving and thriving under this pandemic so they have positioned themselves well and that's and that's a tribute certainly to them how many you say you had four what what are the uh, what's the uh, girls boys how's it work one one boy and uh, three girls oh <laughs> you know what they say you know what they say bad boy bad boy all right um, I got four sons myself um, oh wow you know yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, you know what's crazy though? I tell people this all the time. I think the pressure is on me because I got these these young young people that I have to tr- make men and make responsible men who are carrying on my namesake, you know? Um it's 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 to me it's a lot of responsibility to have to protect and to teach a a black man, a young black male in this country. 
uh, how to survive and how to just be responsible and response able. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I, I, and I think I started caring about 2014 (laughs) and that's when I turned gray, when I actually started listening, (laughs) when I was like, huh, what? (laughs) I heard you the first time. I just act like I didn't hear you. I heard you. Oh man. Um, You know, it's different when you have, you know, when you have, a, a son versus daughters because you know you don't mind the world knocking around your son a little bit you think it'll it'll uh it'll help them uh grow to become better men it's a little tougher to take when the world's knocking around your daughters a little bit so i've always shared with them that um you know i want them to to pursue their own dreams and goals and and and, and if that's education at a high level then do that and 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 secure a future for yourself and when the time's right, you know, pick a pick someone that you want to spend your life with because you want a partner. You know, you, I don't want them to be in a situation where they have to rely on someone else to take care of them financially. Hey, listen, I keep trying to tell my kids the same thing, you know, and, and I learned that it's a different, you know, it's a different world. It's a different generation. You know, uh, the the the. You know, because we can only go by what we've experienced and and what our parents taught us and the things that we take from them, the good and the bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And we try to bestow that and and pour into them in a way that, you know, and and I've had to learn that, you know, you can you can you can be the so-called so-called best parent on the on the planet. These kids are going to some of them are just meant to learn the hard way. So some of them are just meant to learn the hard way. Some of them are going to write checks, they mouth that they ask can't cash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of them are just meant to bump their head. Like yeah. I've had to find comfort in God and Jesus, the man up above, <laughs> and ask for prayer. Um. And and I've discussed this week with my kids, too, you know, and uh, it's kind of interesting because, you know, when we are blessed or put in certain positions um, in life, you know, sometimes our kids are removed from a lot of the situations that are going on or they don't they don't experience it. They don't they don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, or they're blind to the fact even when it's actually happening, you know, because I've been in a couple of situations with my kids where. You know, I'm looking at their friends, you know, their little white friends or whoever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll say something or do something to where my kid doesn't actually understand what's happening at that moment. And I want to call it right then and there. I want to be like, and and so sometimes I do. And not in a way that's, you know, uh, crazy or anything, but it's definitely uncomfortable. And my, I can see the look yeah. in my kid's face like, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And then I have to and then I have to explain to him later, like, this is what's happening right here. And you don't see it. But I have to point it out to you so that you can recognize it the next time it happens. You know, in that same way, uh, you know, profound life experience. It has been for me having that having that career that I chose. uh, I I can remember the first week uh, in the training academy and. And uh, the first day and the training staff 
one of the representatives of the training staff stood before us and was kind of giving us a rundown of what to expect. And one of the things that they mentioned was congratulatory remarks. Congratulations, you all made it through the process. You all made it here. Uh, you went through an exhaustive recruiting process and background investigation. Uh, because if you're fortunate enough to graduate and become a special agent, we are now going to introduce you to all of the people that your parents told you to stay away from. And so through that experience, I got to that there going forward, I got to see sort of the darker side of of humanity. And you're right. You know, your kids are shielded from that. They don't see that. They don't see or know what you've seen and observed. And I've been through. And so you're trying to guide them and impart some wisdom on them. And uh, and it's uh, it's real difficult at times, <laughs> to, you know, because you kind of know that sometimes the world is not a nice world out there. So then what's the biggest lie? What did you realize coming up as a kid? Right. Mm -hmm. Coming up as a kid growing up in Boston, of all places. Good Lord. Sure. Um, and then. Now that you're on the other side, so to speak, what was the biggest lie or what was the, you know, and, and I call it a lie because mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Santa Claus, right? You, sure. You're taught to believe, you know, even in this country, we're taught to believe in these, these, these rules and, uh, you know, democracy. We were taught to believe that this is what it is when in actuality we live in two different Americas and we experience something on, on a daily basis where we know that this is not the truth. You know, I, I think to that, to that question and to your point, I, I, I would say that through my experience growing up and also in my professional career, uh, and I, and I learned this in, in high school, uh, mm -hmm. things are not always what they appear to be. And there's a lot of things going on below the surface uh, that's what I would say, because uh, on the one hand, you see this certain image or this certain uh, way of doing things. And then when you look below the surface, you see that, you know, in some cases, uh, there's some criminal activity involved that has catapulted them to be to legitimize on the surface what it is that they're doing. You can't make a statement like that and not tell me what you're talking about. Oh, man, what the hell? You cannot make a blanketed, vague-ass statement that we all know. Of course, things ain't what they appear to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's that was the biggest thing that I learned, because you think things were one way. You think that, you know, and then you learn. Uh, you learn something else and you're like, man, you know, I got to start paying attention more. I got to start looking below the surface. I got to do a little research on my own. I got to start using that brain to do some critical thinking and do some analysis to see what's really going on out there. Did you discuss this week with your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of them in, in particular, because I, there's one still at home. All of the rest of them are out of the house. Oh, so you're like me, like me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and and she's in college uh, and she's finishing up. She's got about another year to go. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, we talked about uh, we, we talked about the week and and just getting a sense of 
you know, what her uh, perspective is and, and looking at it and uh, she gets it, you know, she, she sees it for what it is. You know, she sees the differences from, from last summer and, and looking at all that footage of BLM and, and what happened on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that she has the, the history going back, you know, as far, as far back as, uh, as I do looking at many, many instances of, uh, the injustices, uh, that were done that, and, and a lot of it, it's been, been captured in film, uh, television documentaries, uh, you name it. So it's always been there. Uh, I think that for some people, you know, this is an awakening for them to say, Geez, is this really how America is? Yes, the hell it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Right. I mean, well, I mean, for a lot of us, we already knew that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's just keep it real. We, we've been telling you this for a minute. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. so that's why when people talk about 2020 and the pandemic and George Floyd and all these things, you know, you know, God bless his family and, and, and anyone who suffered from COVID and has been affected by it. And, you know, God bless any of the people who have lost their lives, you know, on both sides to any of this ridiculous, uh, 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 brutality, you know, between law enforcement and people of brown and uh, black communities. But we've been knowing this has been going on for a long time. I think the rest of the world that we've been preaching to the choir to is finally seeing the rest of America who, you know, it's, it's your friend who never experienced it and who, you know, just thought you were complaining and whining for no reason and, and didn't get it. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's that. So, it, you know, as you said, it's a wake up call and it's also it's, it's a it's a grand awakening for everybody, you know, which is which is not necessarily a bad thing. No, I, I think, uh, you know, when are we going to come to grips with it, come to terms with it? Uh, you know, the you know, the 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 you know, you mentioned uh, the black uh, Wall Street, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, that wasn't an anomaly. That wasn't a one-off, you know. Um, you know, these things have occurred repeatedly uh, uh, throughout our history. And so when are we going to have this? Because in the past, you know, if you, you like you, you mentioned, you know, what do you, you know, someone would say, well, you know, what are you complaining about? You know, in the past, it would be almost dismissive. Oh, you know, why do you got to bring up race? Why do you got to bring up the race card? Um, so at some point, you know, <laughs> we 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 have to have kind of a reckoning of of what is happening uh and what has happened and and then how do we move forward you know collectively to uh to make it better and and I think that's that's going to have to be some tough examination that's going to have to go on and it, and it's it's been starting since since the knee on the neck you know that's really when it came into the consciousness of a lot of people that uh, that were unknowing before. And, and I'm glad you said that because I, I was that was my next question is how do we how do we move forward? I mean, you know, what do you think is the, the way? I mean, you know, is it and, and, and for lack of a better word, I'll say defunding the police, you know, because it, it means different things to different people. You know, and I sure. think sometimes people think that means, you know, one thing versus no, we're just saying let's use some of the money for putting back you know, programs into the communities that were taken away. Uh, but what do you see as, as the, 
you know, what do you, what do you see? How, how do we move forward? You know, well, uh, what, what, what should the black community prepare for? First of all, right. How should they, you know, how should they operate and move? But just in general, what do you see as the, as the possible plausible solution? So I, I think the first step is, is because there's so many. OK, so if you look at across the board, there's so many uh, institutions uh, in this country uh, that require reformation to put into place real, uh, real equity uh, for, uh, for, for people of color, right? And so I would, the first thing I think that needs to be done, and I think that we have seen that in the 2020 uh, presidential election and the uh, subsequent runoff uh, elections in Georgia, I'm going to have to echo uh, Barack Obama in, in an interview that he gave to the BBC recently in that if we really want to affect change, we have to engage in the process and organize to have an impact on public policy because public policy is really is really of the start uh, because we're not having public policy crafted to protect our interests or advance our our interests uh, then we're just swimming against the tide uh, and so when you look at a holistic public policy approach, then obviously you can uh, include or incorporate into that, uh, you know, uh, police reform. And, and I think I, I think you're right. I think, you know, defunding the, the, the police, you know, that word defunding, you know, that that's like a, that's like a trick word. Right. That can, you know, that can sort of um, put you on the plus or the minus side. Uh, of an argument, you know, back the blue versus you're not a supporter of the blue. And what I can tell you is that in, in throughout my experience in working with police officers, you know, I've often heard police officers say, you know, we're responding to all calls for service and, and we're not sociologists and we're not psychologists and and we're not um, counselors. OK, uh, so for, you know, for nonviolent. Uh, circumstances for nonviolent situations. You know, if there's some sort of structure or organization that we can put into place where that's alleviated from the police department to respond to, and you have those subject matter experts, volunteer corps, uh, you know, Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, you know, if you have those trained professionals in that some form or fashion to resemble that, uh, that can at least respond together with the police. And once the police make the assessment that it's a nonviolent, non-criminal situation, then maybe at that point you have the police there to protect those professionals and and, uh, and allow those professionals to administer the help and the assistance uh, to those individuals you know, that are afflicted with with whatever problems that they have. And that would certainly uh, help law enforcement law enforcement operate more effectively. So there's lots of ways that you can sort of what, what business doesn't want to operate or function more effectively uh, and use the resources that they have uh, better? And you can certainly do that, do that with police departments. And I think that that's one of the things that they have to take a, a really hard, a really hard look at. But I think the starting point is, is public policy and, and getting involved. I think a lot of people 
uh, voted in the 2020 election that may have sat on the couch in past elections and hadn't voted before, but something inspired them to get off that couch and go vote. Someone, uh, not something. Someone, someone or something. Someone no, or something. No, no, it's one. It's one. One particular in person is <laughs> one. And and I'm glad everybody was. I'm glad the whole world stopped and paid attention for the, you know, yeah. and, and figured it out. Um, and 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 you know, for me, it's accountability. You know, because what you just said is is you know what business doesn't operate. Well, first of all, you you, you got to realize or understand or know or admit that there's something wrong with the business to begin with. Because if you don't think there's something wrong with it, yeah. well, you, 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 hello, there you go. If you don't admit or realize that there's something wrong, you know you, you're going to be like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. So once you realize it's broke, it has to be broken and you have to actually recognize that it's broken to actually fix it. And one of those things is accountability. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to underscore what you're saying about accountability, I, I think that, you know, uh, law enforcement has a duty and a responsibility in their recruitment, uh, in their in their recruitment. Of course, hiring, in the vetting process, of course. Their vetting process. And, and it shouldn't stop there. It You know, if you find that you have officers that are aligning themselves with far right or left militia groups that they have intended go. purpose. They, you, you have to be able to rid those people of your ranks. You know, you don't, you don't have a right to be a police officer. Accountability. Uh, yes. You know, you, you should be, if you can't take, follow your oath and afford people the rights that they have, under the Constitution, uh, you can't selectively enforce the laws. Uh, so I think a lot of that accountability should be done uh, in the in the police ranks, you know, to weed out those individuals uh, that have bias, uh, implicit bias. I think that 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 needs to be something that needs to be a cornerstone uh, of their core mission and values. And it can't just it, stop once you hire someone age 18. In my opinion, you know, you know, you touched on something where I think the problem begins. You know, the Constitution has to be constantly amended to the times. You can't take something that was written hundreds of years ago in a different time and apply it to today. You know, some of the stuff, sure. Some Mm -hmm. of the stuff I I could, you know, I'm not talking about everything, but a lot of it has to be changed and amended as it has been in other areas. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, if you can amend a constitution or a law with regards to real estate, then damn it, you can. <laughs> you, I mean, we we talking about human beings' lives. We're yeah. talking about citizens, Americans. You know, we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But when you don't want again, when you don't want to lose power, when you don't want things to change, when you don't want to have your, you know, when you don't want to be wearing, you know, when you're the emperor with new clothes on. <laughs> you know, hey, hey, you know, yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, you know, just law enforcement and policing is just one, again, one institution in this society that that requires reform. If we, if we truly want to get to that place and hold up the country to the ideals uh, that it espouses, I mean, it doesn't really take. You know, you don't have to be super smart to just look up the data to see that of the industrialized nations, you know, we incarcerate far more people than the next country in line. Uh, We prosecute uh, some offenses much more than others, meaning drug offenses. You know, why is that? And then why is it that uh, people of of color 
uh, constitute uh, a, we're overrepresented in the in the prison incarceration in this country. Why you know why is that uh, when we I think only, the thing is I think the thing is we know why. That's the we thing. Know it's why. like it's 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 why. more than evident as to why. That's yes. the thing. Stop being surprised. Stop asking why and just mm-hmm. f and do something about it. And we yeah. have to make that change. And that is the thing. That's yeah. the thing. I, I for one was like sitting at home going, let these goofy mfers go do what they got to do. <laughs> let these goofy people help us. Let keep go, go on. Thank you, yeah. you goofy asses. Anyway, thank you for being here today. I know we got to wrap this up. I I, I I could go on for hours and, and, and we could get into so much, but my cup is dry. Uh, <laughs> Mine is too, as a matter of My fact. cup is <laughs> Brother, uh, Brother Mateo, thank you so much for being here today. Um, what are your final thoughts? What would you leave us with today? Uh, well, you know, w- w- what I would say uh, to you know, the listeners of, uh, of your podcast, uh, particularly speaking to those, uh, youth, uh, for ones out there, you know, yeah, uh, it's, it's the same challenges that, uh, that I faced, uh, as a professional, uh, are similar, uh, to the struggles and things that, uh, that blacks face, uh, who weren't in my profession. Uh, I just had the benefit of being shielded from some of the worst of it, a lot of the worst of it, uh, because of the positions a- 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 that I held and the fact that I that I was law enforcement. And I would encourage them uh, to to seek careers in 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 federal law enforcement if that is their interests, because you know you you need to effective you need to have. Folks, right? Everybody needs a role, just like we talked about sports at the top. You know, every everybody on the team has a role, and you need to have those folks on the outside that are pushing to affect change through public policy. But you also need to have people on the inside to help drive and affect change. Uh, and so that's why I think it is important uh, for for folks to to pursue, you know, careers in in law enforcement if if they have. If they have a passion for it. Amen. Uh, Final thought for the day. I'll just say this, people. We're at a point in history where change is inevitable. It's inevitable. It is imperative that we as a community, we as a nation. Do what's necessary. To grow, to strengthen and to thrive. The time is now. Yesterday's the past. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is the present, which is why they call it a gift, which is why the present is called a gift. Amen. There's no time to waste. We have to prepare for the future, though, and all its uncertainties. So on that note, I say one love. Stay strong. Stay safe. Stay black. At least at heart. Black Arm of the Law is hosted by Carl Payne. Produced by Ken Johnson, Bart Phillips, and Carl Payne. Assistant producer, Lauren Turner. Consulting producers, FBI Special Agent Retired Don Taylor and FBI Special Agent Retired George Graves. Edited by Rick Chill. Theme music by Jeff Red, courtesy of Soul Real Records. Executive producers, Ken Johnson and Bart Phillips. 
Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Arm of the Law is a mean old lion media production.